Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, we'll be talking to the great Ali Wagner. We'll also be talking Continental Classico, potential U.S. Women's National Team World Cup starting 11, John Waite, El Trafico, more Holland, because you can... You can never have too much Holland, right, Mossy? UCL, CCL, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Wednesday, April 12th in the year 2023? Doing well. That was a very energetic extraordinaire. You know, I, I try to ramp it up every once in a while, you know, and it's just a matter of where to, where to get it to. You, are you watching anything, my friend? Uh, you know, last time we spoke about the succession, everyone was all gaga about the succession thing. So uh, anything new? You know, I came into work on Tuesday to cover CCL, and first person I see is Zach Kenworthy, and literally the first words out of his mouth are, don't tell me what happened, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> All right. Well, I haven't seen it yet either. So uh, are, you, are you reading or watching anything? Uh, I have another episode of Ted Lasso waiting for me. Okay. Um, also, refresh my memory. Did you ever talk about the Waco Netflix documentary? Yes. Uh, I, I, I mentioned it. And, uh, you know, I've watched all, all the documentaries, read, read books on the whole Waco. My crazy. father recently watched it ah. and strongly recommended it to me. There you go. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's a number of episodes, but you get through it, and uh, yeah, it's 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 nuts. And I remember obviously being there and watching it on, on not being there, but uh, living through that and and watching it on CNN and stuff, and how important it was. Um, let's see, what do I have for you to hold on? Yeah, uh, we were talking off air. You're you're reading something. What are, are you we, reading? Are we doing this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the people deserve to know. So we we got off air. We were having a conversation, and we were trying to see on our reading list of uh, who who had the mo- most pretentious or the more pretentious uh, in their list. And I said, "No, Masi, mine. I got a bunch of you know ridiculous American history ones that are you know really in the weeds and stuff like that." But then Masi, uh, never wanting to you know uh, admit defeat, came out with what. So I recently mentioned on this uh, podcast that I watched this Netflix show, The Spy, with Sasha Baron Cohen, which is about this uh, Israeli spy, Ellie Cohen, in the 60s who infiltrated Syrian society. I found out the TV series was based on a French book that came out in the late 60s about Ellie Cohen. So now I am reading said book. In French. It is in French. Correct. So you are reading a 60s French book about uh, the spy uh, history back then in French. Correct. Yeah, that's more pretentious than me. That's, I wasn't uh, going to mention uh, it. On well, the air I'm you, I am mentioning it so that people should know. But you know what? It's mossy. It's it's you. So it's really not pretentious. It's you, and we love you. Um, I watched um something called uh, the Hard Way, which is a documentary on John Waite. You know who John Waite is? You, you might not know him. He's an incredible musician. You may know him from the Babies originally, uh, and then solo, and then. Uh, with bad English and stuff like that. And I'm a sucker for any type of music documentary. And whether you know him or not, you know, the whole the whole genre of of documentaries uh, and music documentaries is, you know, how much do you talk about? And I, I really recommend it. It's really interesting to hear him talk about how difficult he was. And we know that artists can be difficult uh, and talented people can be difficult. But he just let it all hang out in this one. And you're left with, incredible voice, incredible writer, incredible performer, but also you can tell he's a piece of work and he's probably very, very difficult at times to deal with. And he justifies it as in, in deference, um, 
to the art. And I think that you can do a little bit of that, but at some point it gets difficult to work with people if they're constantly saying, yes, but this is my muse and this is my art and you're trying to take us in different directions and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, I love John Waite and uh, uh, it's a pretty good documentary. I think it's on Amazon. So anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, where should we start? I mean, we should start with our guest, right? The great Ali Wagner. All right, let's, let's go right to Ali Wagner. I don't know where she is, but let's go talk to her. All right, without further ado, let's, uh, let's bring her in. We already teased her. Uh, Allie Wagner, the great Allie Wagner. Mossy, you're happy. I'm happy. We're all happy. There she is. Parts unknown. Looks like a tropical paradise. She's got the big hoops in. She's got that wonderful smile. Welcome. Welcome back, Allie Wagner, to the State of the Union podcast. How you doing? First off, where are you? No, first off, I mean, I don't just leave my vacation for anyone. So I want you to know when you come calling, I'll, I'm here for you. I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, OK. Well, listen, if anybody deserves a vacation, it is you. And I, it, before we get into the, the U.S. Women's National Team and a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk to you, congratulations are in order. For those that haven't heard, uh, Ali Wagner, along uh, with Brandy Chastain and Leslie Osborne and Daniel Slayton, women that we know and love, especially when it comes to our uh, our Fox uh, uh, family um, and Sixth Street, uh, which is the money, have gotten together after a whole lot of work, a whole lot of work, and they were awarded a expansion NWSL team. So first off, congratulations to you and everybody that I just mentioned in, in big picture. And I know you're decompressing from all of this, but there's still plenty of work yeah. to do. Just give give the folks a little idea of what the last few years have been like for you to come just to this oh. moment. I, I, that would take more than a few words. Um, it's been uh, it's been an arduous but incredibly rewarding journey, I will tell you. Uh, pretty much usurped my life. And minus, of course, a World Cup sprinkled in there in Qatar, I would just say a lot of my focus and, and our group's focus was on making sure that we were able to bring the NWSL team to the Bay Area. And and more than that, Lex and, and, and Mossy, we knew that we needed the, uh, the right partnership and we needed something special in order to kind of see out what we hope to be um, come to reality what our vision is and that was the partnership with six straight so you said it you know this is a group that it has incredible resources they're going to back us back the vision and hopefully do something really special in women's football starts in the bay area of course but but we have global aspirations and so the last two and a half years it's been focused on making sure a we get the bid but now it's a sprint to stand up the company and so we're ready to come kick a ball 2024 and by the way, you guys got to get one of these. Ooh, swag. Wait, wait, wait. I got it. There we go. There, there we go. go. Look, looking good. Looking good. Allie, it is pretty shameless the way you're traveling around, going to cool games under the guise of research. <laughs> but, I, but I see you palling around with Pep Guardiola at the Barcelona Real Madrid game recently. I cannot deny such allegations, but you know he, he wanted to come up and, and get my autograph and take a picture with me. What do you? I mean, what do you do, Mossy? You say no. Yeah, we're 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 doing something special. So we've got to make sure that that you know we're we're doing the due diligence, the research to get this right from day one. We're gonna we're gonna make mistakes, but I, I really do believe in and learning best practices. And and there's no better place to go than Spain and and learn from some of the things that obviously Barcelona, Real have done. And as you know, Sixth Street, they're investors in both of those clubs, long term investors at that. So so it's a great relationship and something that you know we like or that it was enjoyable to go experience. Was, that was my first time, by the way, to El Clasico and, and in Spain for football. 
All right. Well, listen, this is wonderful for the Bay Area. Like you said, it's wonderful for NWSL. It's wonderful for women's soccer. It's wonderful for soccer in the United States. So congratulations to that. Last question on this before we move on. Um, it, listen, this is the third team now in California and you got the uh, the neighbors, the noisy neighbors down south. Now, it's just you four and Sixth Street. Now, we know that <laughs> when it comes to Angel City, Anybody evidently that has a $20 bill is an owner down there, okay? Uh, is this is it, is this going to be limited in terms of the ownership? Are we going to see your face uh, and your image when it comes to ownership? Or can Mossy and myself become involved? Well, I mean, let, let's take that offline, okay? Let, all right. We don't divulge all of our secrets. But I, the reality is we've been really selective and strategic in our partnerships. And that was something that was important from uh, to us from day one and how we built out this organization, obviously starting over two and a half years ago. So strategic relationships, strategic partnerships, and people that want to lean in. And and look, I'm all for people celebrating the game and enjoying the game, embracing the game and 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 showing up and being that massive supporter. But but we also want people to lean in and, and have some skin in the game and, and really start to drive what we hope to be, you know, what this vision is supposed to come look like uh, when we start playing in 2024. All right, let's let, let's get into some stuff here when it comes to the U.S. Women's National Team and the and the work, the job that you have to do uh, come this uh, come this summer. We just come off of these two games against uh, Ireland, not particularly impressive. And I'm going to ask you about specific players as we go on, but in general and big picture type, how do you think we're recording this on Wednesday, April twelfth, twenty twenty three? How do you think the U.S. Women's National Team is set up as we get closer and closer? We're less than a hundred days now before the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Look, I mean, big loss, right, with Mallory Swanson going down. I think that's more so than any of the performance that comes out of those two games. I think that that was probably the headline that everyone walked out of of the the two friendlies that went against Ireland with. And and look, she's our leading goal scorer, leading assists uh, in this calendar year. So that's a big loss for the U.S. The having said that, I do think that one of the areas we're incredibly strong in is attacking talent, attacking prowess. So. Hopefully we're going to have some players step up and, and fill those shoes. Trinity Rodman got quality minutes. Uh, you saw the young Alyssa Thompson from Angel City. She had some good minutes. So I think when you look at this team, though, there's other important steps that were made. Julie Ertz coming back into the fold. You have some Kelly O'Hara got minutes as well. Uh, Casey Kruger. So you had some of these veterans that came back in, got minutes. You know, is Ireland a top 10 team in the world? No. So what did we really learn? You know, that's always everything that we talk about in terms of performance tactics has to be viewed through that lens and that Ireland is not necessarily a Germany and England. But, you know, there's positives on that you're getting some of those players back. I think that we didn't put them away, that we didn't score multiple goals. You know, I think that's a one of the issues for the U.S. But as we know, we usually ramp up as we head into a World Cup. And that final that final piece in the attacking third seems to come later than than earlier. And and I think, you know, you've gotten a good look at at least the center back potential uh, or partnerships. Tierna Davidson coming back into the fold. I really do think that Naomi Gurma is is the future there. Um, the partnership, you know, whether it's to be seen, whether it's Becky Sauerbrunn, whether it's Alana Cook. But there's optionality. And, and as I've learned as I'm building out a business um, and as it relates to football, optionality is value. And I think that's something that the United States walked out of these two friendlies uh, taking in their back pocket and, and can build upon at the end of the World Cup. So then we can talk about, let's compare them into the, to some of the other squads that we saw play in the international window. Uh, Ali, Alexi and I had this chat after the first Ireland game, and I think it certainly applies after the second one as well. 
Uh, this U.S. team is leaving people cold because they're not dominating opponents the way they used to. But is that because people have an outdated view of women's soccer and they still assume that when the U.S. plays anybody that's not one of the handful of elite teams, they should dominate? But maybe we have to adjust to the fact that now playing the 20-something ranked team in the world is actually a much tougher game than it used to be. Yeah, you, I think you're spot on on that, Reid, that, that it's an outdated view. And and we've always talked about how quickly the women's game has accelerated in terms of the competition. Talked about it, what? I think I was on the show back when they were in qualifying. And we were talking about how the rest of the world was catching up. Well, I, I think Ireland is a perfect example of that. It is more competitive. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to still have routes in the women's game. It doesn't mean that on a day where everything is clicking, the United States couldn't dominate this Ireland team for nothing, five, nothing. I just think the, the reality is that the consistency of that type of domination and scoreline, we're not going to see that anymore. It's going to be one-offs. It's not the norm. It's going to be, uh, the, it's going to be the outlier. And I think that that is a fair statement. The rest of the, of, you know, the U S has to get wrap their head around the idea that this team is going to have to grind through some of these games to get results. And, and you saw it against Ireland. Now, I hope it, the, you know, the team steps up heading into the World Cup, but the reality is much tougher competition. And that's a good thing because we like good games. We like quality opponents. That drives viewership. That drives interest. That drives passion and connection. All right, so whether this team is grinding out results or just blowing through the opposition, we know that this World Cup is going to be unique. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago when you were on, we talked about the usual suspects out there that are going to give the U.S. problems. We know this is going to be 32 teams. There are going to be a pl uh, plenty of new uh, players and obviously teams in this World Cup. Give me, give me still at now at this point, again, as we get closer and closer, give me your three teams that stand in the way of the U.S. Uh, making history in this unprecedented moment to be able to win three World Cups in a row, nothing that has ever been done from a men's or women's side. Just three? Yeah, just give me three. Just three. Or give me I'm five. If you want to give me five, give me five. I was going to say, this goes to your point and your question. Uh, before, I would have just said there was three teams. There was two teams. There's one team that could stop the United States. I actually think there's... I could put them on, I would say five or six. I'd go so far as to say seven if you had a dark horse upset. Um, but I think, I think you got to go with the Euro or the Euro champs, England, although they just were defeated by Australia to nothing. Mm -hmm. um, I still think that, that they're hard, they're, they're quality on the pitch. They've got a, an incredible manager in Serena Begman. I think they're set up really well to do uh, to do well against United States. Um, they too have suffered some injuries, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, I would say, interestingly enough, I'm going to go with France now that Evernard is is uh, in charge of of that group. This could blow up, right? This could be one of those picks that blows up in their face, or it could be something that that is incredibly strategic and it, they get it right. Because the one thing France has lacked all along at least from the outside looking in, is a quality manager to, to capitalize on all the talent that is there and to build some chemistry and unity within that French team. We saw what Evernard did in, in Qatar with Saudi Arabia, and, and I think that this type of manager might be the right pick for, for France to finally get over that hurdle and, and lift up a trophy. So I think France is a potential contender to stand in the United States' way. Um, I would still say Germany, although I thought their performances over this international break were a bit lackluster. Still think they've got a great manager, uh, and and I think it's it's really young, talented squad. Again, for those who don't remember, 
this was a team that pushed England in that Euro final, could have easily come away with, with that trophy um, last summer. I think those are the lead contenders on the outside looking in. You'd have to throw Spain in there. We don't know what Spain is going to be there, if, if the full team is going to come back into the fray or not, or if it's going to be this newer generation, but they've got tons of talent and quality on that squad. And, and I think Australia, we look, we've said this before, but when you host, there's a lot of pressure. And what does that do to the psyche of the team? How do they handle that? Well, we just saw them down England, do nothing, and give Serena Vegman her first loss at the helm of Eng- uh, the helm of, of that English national team. So this is a team that that has Tony Gustafsson as their manager. He was a previous manager of the United States, assistant to Jill Ellis. This is a, a guy that knows how to play the U.S. well. And if you watch the game against England, he set them up tactically incredibly well. They sat back, they absorbed pressure, and they played on the counter, and that's how they got their goals. And I think if, if they keep that unit it, performing in that way, I think they could shock, they could surprise. That goes along with the fact that they can hopefully handle the pressure of, of host, being the host nation. Uh, Allie, to go back to the... Who am I leaving out? No, that's all right. You gave us three. You, you, you said seven, but you gave us three. So we're going to... Well, no, oh, no, 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 no. Don't, no, no. Three is good enough. Canada. Three is good enough. Well, you let you left Brazil out, who in this window tied England at oh. Wembley and beat Germany yes. in Germany, I'm just saying. Oh, my God. Of course it comes yes. back to and Brazil. By the way, by the way, Mossy, I actually... Brazil is up there. I do. I think they're uh, talented. Go. And again, Pia knows how to play the United States. So I think that bodes well for... For that talented squad, so I'm going to give you that give you that shot, Monty. Uh, to go back to the uh, U.S. team for one second, we've talked so much earlier in the cycle about the team being in transition and more youthful, and you still have Morgan leading in the attack, Sauerbrunn at the back. Now potentially Julie Ertz working her way back into the mix in the midfield. Is that a concession on Vladko's part that you still kind of need that experienced spine? And uh, with Mallory Swanson getting injured, is there a chance Megan Rapino winds up in the starting lineup of this team uh, this summer? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not so certain, Mossy, that the spine is necessarily going to reflect all those names you just said uh, when it comes to World Cup time. I don't know that Sauerbrunn will be a starter. I do know that the team relies on her as that experienced vet leader, um, but that partnership to be determined. I do think that Ertz was incredibly important when she came into those games against Ireland. She got 99 days to get back fully fit. And, and I think, you know, who cares what her age is? I thought she looked like an important piece this U.S. team if if she does get that starting opportunity. You know, Alex Morgan, again, she's been bright in NWSL, so it makes a lot of sense to have those players in there. But if Kat Macario was healthy, would we be having the same conversation? Probably not. So I think this is more of a reflection of not necessarily a block of saying I have to have this experience, but these are the best players available to me right now in terms of performance. And, and I think that's more uh, an accurate portrayal uh, of what's, you know, the decision-making process that Blanco is going through. I don't think Megan Rapinoe will be a starter um, as a winger, but, but I've been surprised by decisions before. So we'll see. I do think, though, that, that this group is, is really hungry to go get that third title. All right. Let, l- all right. Be the first ever. Let's finish it up here and let you go back to your, uh, your tropical frolicking <laughs> over there. Um, I'm going to give you my starter in each one of these positions. And you mentioned Katarina. Okay. I mean, let's, let's, let's put her out of the equation right now. If she comes back, that's great, but it's gravy. Okay. But let's, let's, uh, let's do this. If the world cup started tomorrow, 
Okay. And we know the U.S., okay. when they go through a World Cup, they can kind of mix and match and they can platoon and all that. But let's say this was one of your three, one of your three that can beat the U.S. You got to play your best 11 here. Okay. You just say agree or disagree when I, when I, uh, when I give you the, uh, the players here in the positions. All right. A listener and goal. Agree? Yes. Are you really hesitating on this? I mean, <laughs> you got somebody else. What's happening here? What's going on? I, I think that is, I think that is a, I, I'm going to give you an agree, but there've been, there've been gaps by all of the goalkeepers. So, so yes. Agree. Oh, I'm not saying that, that this is, this is making us all feel comfortable. I'm just saying that I think that this is what's okay. going, what's going to happen. Okay. So, okay. All right. Hold on. Okay. So it's not side. my warm blanket. Okay. okay. Got it. You got, got it. it. You got a chin stroke from Allie on that one. <laughs> yeah, you notice exactly. that? <laughs> it was very good. All right. Uh, left back, Crystal Dunn. Agree. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, you, you just talked a little bit about Becky, but Salbrun and Gurma in the middle. Disagree. Okay, so both of those, or you disagree with both of them or one of them? I think if Tierna Davidson continues um, at her progression, I think she could be partnered alongside alongside Gurma, and it would be an, an experienced back line, inexperienced back line, but I think it could be a fruitful partnership. Got it. Okay. Uh, and then right back, I, I, I don't know, Huerta, uh, is there somebody else? What do you, what do you think is ultimately going to happen over there? No, um, you've got Emily Fox. Okay. So you, do you think it's going to be Fox? Yeah, I do. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, midfield, uh, I got, uh, Horan, uh, Ertz and Lavelle. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, we're we're cruising right now. Keep in mind, you got Sullivan, Sullivan, Muis, and uh, Corniak, and Sanchez, and and others out there that could uh, that are going to come in. But this is again, you got to win this game. Uh, And then I I I kept those in mind. All right. Uh, And then forwards: uh, Sophia Smith, Alex Morgan, and Trinity Rodman. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, so you're not starting Williams or Thompson or anything like that. Okay. And then my last question to you before we let you go is. Is what you know? I just we disagreed a little bit, but for the most part, we agreed. Is that enough to win the World Cup come this summer? Is that enough? Yes, that is enough. Is it really? Um, I'm not sure it is. That is enough. Well, again, I don't. When we talk about winning a World Cup, we're not just talking about the squad and and leaving the rest up to chance, if you will, right? There's, or I guess we there. There's other intangibles that go into that. Sure. And, and so I think, I think when you look at the pathway, the United States has an incredibly friendly pathway. If they don't stumble out of the gates in group stage, I, I think this is a friendly, friendly march into a final. Wow. And okay. right. I wouldn't bet against this U.S. team, uh, you know, when, when you're in that late stages of a tournament. All right. We were going to end this here, but your biggest fan over here, Mossy, wants to get something in. Hold on. No, no, Ali, I just want to say, I think, I hate to say it, but a big X factor in this World Cup is injuries. And you've been talking about yeah. this this issue in the women's game. Here we are less than 100 days away, and we don't know about Katerina Macario, Alexia Puteas, Beth Mead, and others. Uh, and so, I mean, what do you think's behind so many injuries in the women's game? And I know you're going to be putting together for us a list of the 25 best players at the World Cup, and it's going to be tough because you're going to have to be <laughs> wading through all these injury situations and figuring out who to include and who to not include. Yeah, and Vivian Miedema, another one. You're sp- it's funny, when we started to think about building on that 25, I said, let's put the brakes on because we don't know who's going to be healthy uh, come World Cup time. And we've seen players go down. I think the more demanding schedule, this is replicating a bit of what we see on the men's side. And I do think that that's taking its toll on all of these women's players. 
they are playing at an incredible pace, cadence. And, and in terms of fixtures, I mean, they're stacking up. So this, again, is something that the women's football side has to navigate, uh, I think, as we progress, at, you know, relative to the men's. So I think that's part of it. Sam Kerr, I mean, she had to sit out that first game in this international window because she had a string of games with Chelsea. And she needed to, to get fully fit before their game gets England paid off. She had a goal and assist. So I, I think that I think that's part of it, Mossy. And so we don't know who's going to be healthy, fully fit, World Cup time. And I think you're right that that is going to be a key piece to who makes a deep run and who has the depth um, to actually go the distance. So with the U.S., losing Mallory Swanson, big hit. You know, can Ertz stay healthy? Can Morgan stay healthy? Those are those are questions that Blanca would like to have a crystal ball on now so we can prepare accordingly. All right. Well, listen, uh, I think that this summer, it, this is going to be the biggest and best Women's World Cup that we have ever seen for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is the great Allie Wagner and everything that she does for us on camera and off camera. It's always a privilege and pleasure to work with you. Uh, congratulations again, by the way. You know, I know I, I, bust your, I bust your chops every once in a while, but this, you've done some something really, really good for American soccer. And that deserves to be praised uh, and highlighted with what you're doing with uh, the expansion team up there in the Bay Area with the NWSL and your continued work and everything uh, that you do. So you deserve a little break. So go and relax with you and your family and whatever you're doing. And then get back to work because we got ourselves a big summer and you got yourself a couple of years here where you're going to be working, I'm sure, day and night to get this thing. And we cannot wait to see it. So thank you so much, uh, Allie. Anything, Anything to say before you go to the people that love you out? here no i just want to say thank you I, I really appreciate that because in this whole process i think as an athlete you guys know this as an athlete then as a broadcaster you know you're a bit self-focused and and i think the the most rewarding part of this journey has been that this is not about me this is not about our group this is about the game this is about the women and we want to set up uh, an incredible environment for them to go realize their best self and I think that's been the most rewarding part of this journey is is doing something that hopefully leaves is a lasting legacy and and not just changes, you know, American sport, women's football in the United States, but but changes sport globally. And so that's the goal, that's the vision, uh, and hopefully it is as rewarding down the line as it's been to this point. All right, go take a swim in that pool, Allie, uh, and we will see you back here. And of course, we will see you uh, uh, this summer. Love you, my friend. See ya. Thanks. All right. Again, thank you to uh, Allie Wagner. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, oh, we got all sorts of stuff to talk about, uh, including uh, the uh, U.S. men's national team and games that are going on and games that have gone on and CCL. Uh, there's just so much. Just don't go anywhere. Come on back. Okay, welcome back. All right, we got CCL and UCL. We've already had some games that have happened when it comes to both of those uh, uh, tournaments that are going on. Where should we start, Mossy? Let's start with CCL. Okay. We have our first two semifinalists confirmed. Uh, Tuesday evening, LAFC put Vancouver out of their misery. A 3-0 home win in the second leg. Carlos Vela with two goals. That completed a 6-0 aggregate triumph. So LAFC fly into the semifinals. They are looking like the favorites to win this whole thing. They are, and, and I love the Steve Trundolo kind of uh, 
way of doing things where he's not taking the foot off the gas and they're playing the game. They're giving the people, whether it's a full house or not, it wasn't necessarily a full house, what they what they paid for. And the players on the field delivered. It was never in question as to who was going to go through. It was a question as to whether Vancouver was actually going to rise to the occasion. And I think the the gulf in quality was on display for that entire 180 minutes. Leon also advanced. They brought a 5-0 aggregate lead into their second leg against Violette in the Dominican Republic. They lost 2-1. No issues as far as advancing, but keep in mind in CCL, the order of the legs in the semifinals and the final are determined by your results in the previous rounds. Uh, the team with the better record gets to host the second leg, which is considered advantageous. Leon are guaranteed to host the second leg in the semis against either Tigres or Motagua. But this loss could affect them in the final against perhaps LAFC. It could end up meaning that they don't host the second leg in that matchup. So keep Look an eye on that. Look at your mind working. Look at your mind working. Uh, all right. But, you know, uh, pour one out for Violette. Uh, at least they came and they made a, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they announced their presence with authority and obviously went through Austin and did all that. And, and we talked so much about all the trials and tribulations that they have had uh, on and off the field, just to field the team, just to get to the games, all that kind of stuff. So congratulations to Violette for uh, making a mark in this in this year's CCL. We are taping this on Wednesday afternoon. As soon as we're done, I am going to head to the Fox Studios to cover the Atlas Philadelphia second leg in Guadalajara, the union with a 1-0 aggregate lead. So this tie very much up for grabs. John and Stu on the call. And I think we said uh, earlier this week in the pod that you have Philadelphia coming through, right? Correct. And I don't, I think, have Philadelphia coming through. Ah, and, it, and it pains me to say that. And then uh, the Tigres uh, in Montagua? That would be uh, Thursday night, also on FS1. Uh, Tigres at home with a 1-0 aggregate lead. They should move on. Keep in mind, though, they are having a terrible time in Liga MX. They've lost four in a row. They fired their manager, Marco Antonio Ruiz, this past weekend. Robert Ciboldi taking over. This second leg against Montagua will be his debut on the bench. So this was supposed to be the big bad team that was going to be the favorite to win this competition. But I think LAFC have wrestled that title away. If LAFC played Tigres right now, I would favor LAFC. Ooh, really? All right. Well, listen, this is getting scrumptious and it's getting down to the uh, the business end here. And from an MLS perspective, obviously, we wish Philadelphia, by the time you listen to this, the uh, the game will be over and hopefully Philadelphia will have uh, will have moved on from from my perspective. Um, Should we go on to UCL or, or what, what, what do you think? We're going to transition to Major League Soccer. Oh, OK. All right. All right. Uh, we have some great games this weekend. Let's start with an Eastern Conference showdown. Columbus playing host to New England. I mean, these both these teams are on fire right now. Columbus hosting. I mean, they are good at home. They do not mess. They do not mess around. Um, I think Columbus is slightly better, so I'm I'm going to give it to Columbus. You know, I, I would if I was if I was betting, I would say it ends up tied, right? But that's kind of boring. So I will give it the slight edge to Columbus here as the home team. But both of these teams are phenomenal this year so far. Uh, life does not get any easier for St. Louis after two straight defeats. They now host Supporter Shield leader Cincinnati. Mm. Well, I mean, we've <laughs> we've heard from Pat Noonan how bad they have been, despite the fact that they keep on winning. I how about Cincinnati actually plays much better, and Pat Noonan is happy in the way that they play, but they lose, and and St. Louis rebounds and finds uh, their initial uh, beginning of the season form in front of uh, in front of those those folks that are so crazy. I mean, we saw it with uh, the national team, and obviously with what uh, St. Louis City is doing. So St. Louis City to rebound. 
We also have the two best rivalries in the league this weekend, old school and new school. We'll start with old school. Portland will host Seattle. The Sounders are flying. They sit atop the Western Conference. Portland all the way down in 12th place. They've had all sorts of injuries, including the latest one, terrible news, Eric Williamson out for the season with a torn ACL. I mean, there there was a time when Eric uh, Williamson came on the scene that I was just, I have to watch this guy. And I was so excited about what he was going to potentially be. I compared him to Darlington Nagby and his ability, not just to keep the ball, but the smooth way in which he, he had the ball. And then he, you know, he's had injuries now and that this is not good. And I, my fear is that that was that brief shining moment. And this is always going to be what could have been for an incredible player. And it couldn't come uh, at a worse time for this Portland team, which is already struggling. And so this is a David and Goliath type of situation. And so I think both of these big rivalry games, you are hoping that the momentous type of rivalry that they have makes up for (laughs) the complete difference in directions that both of these teams are heading. But Seattle is flying right now, and they have to be licking their chops going into Portland right now, a depleted Portland, like we say, and a, a Portland that is just not a good team this year so far. Then Sunday, live on Fox, the latest edition of El Trafico. The LA Galaxy will host LAFC. On our last podcast, you did your one for the road on the Galaxy struggles. The latest chapter there is that uh, club president Chris Klein sent an email to season ticket holders pledging that if the Galaxy falls short of their goals this season, he will step aside. And the way he defined their goals to make the playoffs and win a game in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and he also talked about kind of the five-year plan of Greg Vanny. This is this is the galaxy. It's not five-year plans, okay? And and I'm not saying you can't have bumps in the road and ups and downs, but and and so I think that this will, to a certain extent, satisfy some of the critics. But it just kind of prolongs this situation. And is that really what the galaxy is about? Is just making the playoffs in in a league like MLS? I I would I would think that Chris Klein or anybody else there would have much higher aspirations. But I suppose right now this kind of protects him. Although, you know, in his in his statement, he did talk about Greg Vanny. And, you know, I think Greg Vanny deserves plenty of criticism and blame, if you want, for what is going on right now. And he might be able to uh, to deflect it. But this also might be a situation where you just need to clean house and start anew when it comes to uh, all the personnel, whether it's people behind the scenes or people that are uh, actually part of the team. So Chicharito finally back. Uh, the Galaxy actually have the lead in the overall series, uh, seven wins to five. What do you think? Is there a chance they rise to the occasion here in this rivalry game? Absolutely, there is a chance. I would I would love to see it. I would love to see it for Greg Vanny, for this club, for the fans, and even for uh, for Chris Klein to use this again in the same way that we talked about the Portland-Seattle game. But there's only so much that you can do. Emotion only Emotion can't make you a great team. Passion can't make you a great team. You either are or you aren't. And this is not a great LA Galaxy team. However, in this situation, if they play smart, if they are obviously defensively solid and they find a way with the talent that they have, they can create chances. They can certainly find a way out of this game. And I would love it. It would be it would be perfect MLS for both Portland and the LA Galaxy to find ways to win these big rivalry games hosting both of these uh, both of these games. And I'm here for it. By the way, uh, I know we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the new Apple deal that uh, MLS has. I will be appearing on the 360 show on Saturday, and I will be promoting 
uh, El Trafico, which obviously uh, you can see on Sunday. And that makes me very, very happy for a number of different reasons, because I've also complained about how there's this, this small window now of MLS, and I'm left twiddling my thumbs in the afternoons on Sunday. And so now, uh, not only do I get to watch MLS on multiple days through the weekend, but everybody does. You don't have to have an Apple subscription. You don't have to even know what Apple is. You can watch it on Big Fox and listen to Stu and John and the dulcet, dulcet tones of both of those guys. I can't help but chuckle. You know I love you, but there are people out there who think the best thing about this Apple deal is I don't have to deal with Alexi Lala's covering MLS you, anymore, and you're going to show up who, on their show. Right, exactly. I'm going to... I'm gonna, <laughs> Ruin it for everybody. Wait, there, there are not people out there that say that, Mossy. Say it isn't so. How? I mean, they don't know what they're talking about. Anyway, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, to going on that show and you know seeing uh, our old friends uh, Sasha Kleshin and and, uh, and so many others because I think they're they're doing a good job. And as I told you in a previous episode, that is how I digest my MLS right now. It's the 360 show because I just I I can't watch all of the games. From a technical perspective, I can't actually watch all of the games, even if I wanted to open up a bunch of different windows. I, 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 can't, I haven't figured out if I can or even uh, if it is able to be done. So uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, 360 show. And Sasha Kleshen nominated for awards for that nonsense Twitter show. That right. Doha, that exactly. Hey, by the way, uh, producer Sean said that uh, our, our plugs and our pleas out there to get people to call in for the Webbies. Uh, has not fallen on deaf ears and the people have spoken at least and they have already dramatically increased our possibility of winning, uh, whether it's a Webby or a uh, Emmy going forward. So we're excited about all that. And congratulations to all the people in front and behind the camera, whether you win or not when it comes to the Emmys. I think from a Fox perspective, through all of our sports and all of our different uh, content, and we're like 36 or something, you know, something crazy like that. And a lot of it, by the way, 33, excuse me, and a lot of it is uh, relative to the uh, great work that uh, the men and women did on um, on the World Cup in uh, Qatar. And I would expect it to continue on uh, with what we do this summer. Uh, shifting to Europe, the Champions League quarterfinal first legs are in the books. We'll take them in order. On Tuesday, Inter went to Lisbon and got a great result, a 2-0 victory away to Benfica, Barella, and Lukaku from the penalty spot with the goals. When the draw came out, you asked me who would advance. I said Inter. Then in our last podcast, you asked me again. I said Benfica. For bookkeeping purposes, I'm going to go with my first pick. <laughs> but I have been consistent through it all, and I said uh, and I said Inter. So, um, all right, yeah. I mean, this is is it done and dusted? I believe it is. Really? Yeah. Which would guarantee an Italian team in the final. Wow. All right. The big game on Tuesday: Manchester City with a three 0 victory at home over Bayern. Uh, interestingly enough. Uh, City took a 1-0 lead first half, a tremendous goal by Rodri. Uh, but through 65 minutes or so, I thought Bayern were playing really well. They were arguably the better team. And then Upamecano, who was flirting with this all game, he's terrible with the ball at his feet. Bad giveaway. Holland with a beautiful cross showing there's more to his game than scoring goals. Bernardo Silva with the header. 2-0. Bayern fell apart. City were all over them the rest of the way. Holland scoring a third goal, his 11th in the Champions League this season, 45th in all competitions, the most ever by a Premier League player. Uh, so game over, tie over, City moving on to the semifinals. This, I mean, to your point, Bayern Munich was not horrible. And as a matter of fact, they created some really, really good chances. But we all know you got to be able to play a complete game. And, you know, adventures, even, even the elites out there, there's still adventures in playing out of the back. And Upamecano, you know, has that moment. And it, it, they center backs just do things nowadays that, again, you would never, ever catch a center back doing. And they have been given carte blanche to kind of do this. 
and then we're surprised when it doesn't go right, even from great players. And he is a and he is a great player. Um, you know, ultimately, I, I certainly, while I didn't necessarily think that that Bayern Munich was was going to win this game, I didn't think that they were going to be down three nothing going back. And you know, is it is, is it over? Yeah, I mean, your safe money is that three is a bridge too far. Two, maybe you could have gotten away with it, but this is you know. This was a self-destructive type of moment after that 60th minute, and we even hear off the field that there was destruction going on within the uh, within the ranks. Yeah, reports that Leroy Sané and Sadio Mane got into quite the scuffle in the locker room afterwards. Fist fight, a Donny Brook to the point where there are German reporters saying Sadio Mane is going to have to leave this summer. That this was so bad that his uh, remaining there is now untenable. So. Wow, wow, this is this you know this is this is crazy. And for all the talent that they had and, you know, defensively just making some stupid mistakes. There is a growing feeling that this is the year for Manchester City. Obviously, Holland, the main reason why. Sure. But you also have Alvarez, who's brilliant. Akanji has been a great signing at the back. So people think the pieces are all in place now for Pep. He's finally going to get himself a Champions League title at Manchester City. Are you ready to go there? Oh, yeah, I could I could definitely go, especially after this uh, this result. Now, um, and so Holland for you again <laughs> goes back to that conversation that we have. This is this is Man City, and the moment that they're actually going to win Champions League, by the way, it's with Erling Holland up top. I think that would retire that debate. Okay, all right, yeah. all right. Well, we'll, we'll I'll keep going back to it though. <laughs> uh, then on Wednesday, uh, AC Milan claimed a one nil home win over Napoli. Benacer with the only goal. Anguissa got himself sent off in the second half, so he'll be a big miss for Napoli in the return leg. Keep in mind, Osimhen did not play. Napoli are going to hope to have him back for the return leg at home. They're still very much in this, but I, I thought this tie would be tricky for them, and, and they do have some work to do. And, and Kim's out, home. too. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that is, that is, that's not good. It was a great scene, though. I mean, it was a wonderful environment, obviously. The celebration, you know, while it's tribal in terms of the teams, they have the celebration of Italian soccer, and we just got done talking about Inter and, and what they have done. But, you know, these are... These are heady days. I'm not sure it's necessarily the return to the glory days of the 80s and 90s, but this is still good stuff. Uh, I went to the San Siro with my father back in 2005. I saw an Inter-Parma Serie A game, Adriano, when he was at his peak, and I love that stadium. Where would that rank in your favorite stadiums to one play? Of my, one of my favorites because, number one, there's no track. Number two, it just goes straight up. Uh, I have played in there uh, multiple times. I have scored in there. I have beaten Inter. In that stadium, uh, and it's just just incredible lore, and it's just it's just a fun stadium to uh, to to go to a game, and if you get the opportunity to get on the field, it's uh, it's just incredible, and the history is incredible. And then finally, defending champions Real Madrid claimed a two nil home win over Chelsea. Benzema in the first half, Asensio in the second half. Chelsea played a lot of the second half down a man because Chilwell got himself sent off, bringing down Rodrigo on a breakaway. Christian Pulisic, an unused sub in this one. So, so much for the fact that he had done well against Real Madrid in the past. So maybe Lampard would be compelled to put him on. Uh, it's not a disaster for Chelsea, especially considering they played a lot of the second half down a man. 2-0, you, you think you could still be in it. But I don't know, just not getting that vibe from this team. I, I was When it was one nothing and the red card happened... I said, if this finishes out, this this is fine for Chelsea. All right, it's, it's not they're not a pushover. This is Real Madrid, and then and then two, and I was almost thinking, oh, it's going to go to three, and that it didn't. It still doesn't give me any uh, 
security that uh, I mean from a from a Chelsea perspective, I still think that this is this is too far gone. I agree. A third Real Madrid goal kills the tie. Two right. 0 leaves the door slightly open. Real Madrid still have to go there and play, but I'm ninety percent confident that they're going to advance. Yeah, and you know they don't have to be on the front foot. They can you know they can counter. And your your Brazilian friend there certainly loves space. And we were talking earlier about he, he got player of the game. Man of the match. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Well, uh, well done to him. He's just he just keeps getting better and better. He was involved in both goals. The first one, he took the shot that Kepa saved, and then Benzema puts in the rebound, and then he assisted Asensio for the second, and had some other good plays. I I could see it, but I think it was more of a collective effort today. I don't think he stood out as much as another. Do you player. like him? Do you? I mean, do you like him as a player? I love him as a player. Okay. Right, Why well, do I sound a little cold? Yeah, on him I mean, you, you you seem reticent to actually give him his due and pump him up like you're going to hurt him. You know, you're not going to. You're not going to hurt him by by saying how good he is and how excited you are. About when it. he first went to Real Madrid, I was very skeptical. My dad was high on him from the beginning, and so I hate that my dad has been proven right on that. So <laughs> may, maybe that subconsciously that's the reason. Um, in I terms love, of I the love your dad. in terms of the weekend, just to get you set up for the two big titles yeah, what are you we watching? have going what are you watching? on, uh, Manchester City on Saturday will host Leicester. They should win that game. Had Jesse Marsh taken that job, this would have been his first uh, match on the bench. Does maybe. Leicester have a coach? They still uh, don't have a Dean coach. Smith. Oh, Dean Smith. They, oh, okay, good. Sorry. Um, uh, so City win this game. They would knock it down to three. And then on Sunday, Arsenal away to West Ham. Some Arsenal fans feeling like Manchester City have a lot going on between the Champions League. They're still in the FA Cup. Maybe they'll take their eye off the ball in the Premier League. I don't know. I think they're, they're grasping. equipped <laughs> they're, to I think they're, fight on all fronts. Yeah, they're, per, they're, you know, they're... They're worried. They're a little nervous, Mossy. They're a little bit nervous. They they heard your calculation and they said, wait, that doesn't sound right. And then they looked and said, oh, my God, that is right. And if this happens and they went out here and, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. I know I know. Piers Morgan listens to our show. So uh, how are you feeling there? Piers, you feeling, feeling good? Does he really? No. <laughs> uh, in Germany, these two games going on at the same time, Borussia Dortmund will be away to Stuttgart. And then Bayern Munich will host Hoffenheim. Bayern Munich with a two-point lead atop the table. Uh, from a Dortmund perspective, we'll see if Gio Reyna gets on the field. We had a conversation about him in the last podcast. They put a clip of it, and it's getting tons of reaction on social. Gio Reyna, he is a lightning rod. He, yeah, I mean, and it's not that anybody doesn't believe that he is talented, but talent only gets you so far. And your attitude, and again, I'm not saying that he's, that he's got a bad attitude, because I'm not, I'm not there. I have no idea. But as we talked about in the in the previous pod, it's just not something is not right, and it could be for something that he's done, or it could be for nothing that he's done. Sometimes it's it's a situation that's not right, and you got to find something else. From a Bayern perspective, coming off of this uh, coming off this loss, you might as well just go win the uh, win the Bundesliga and put that one to bed. Um, and you know that's that's got a sting after the uh, after the Champions League. Um, and then Stuttgart, I mean. Why would Gio Reyna start now when he didn't start previous games? Good question. I mean, you know, uh, storefront window or something like that. But, you know, I think people know what he is. So anyway, anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, you know, we got some interesting questions when it comes to uh, Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 
Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point of the show where uh, we answer your questions, your comments, concerns. You can either use that hashtag Alexi on all the uh, social media platforms out there. And keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. Mossy, what do we got this week? First up, at Vince Devine or Devine. I never get that right. Uh, One asks, why would any MLS team release players for this? The this he's alluding to is the U.S. national team has a friendly coming up against Mexico Wednesday, April 19 in Glendale, Arizona. It is outside a FIFA window, so uh, it's a mostly MLS-based roster. Mexico, incidentally, having trouble cobbling together a roster for this game because it's crunch time in Liga MX, and those clubs don't want to release players. But the U.S. did, in fact, name a squad today for that match. Anthony Hudson's still in charge. All right, so first off to Vince's uh, question, and then we'll actually go through the roster because I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see who Anthony Hudson has brought in and who the Federation is kind of looking at either short-term or long-term here. So, Vince, uh, why would MLS teams release these players? Well, this is an opportunity for American players uh, playing in Major League Soccer to represent their country. And there is an obvious element of honor and, and pride and responsibility and an opportunity for these players uh, that I think both teams, clubs, and coaches can appreciate. But there's also a practical reason. Um, these are assets. And like any asset, you want it to appreciate. And the cachet and the resume of these players is enhanced by playing for the national team. And so you are increasing, theoretically, you are increasing the value of having a player go in and play well, which might lead to more opportunities. And as an international, as the equation goes, you are more valuable. And so I think that it makes perfect sense in a midweek game uh, type of situation here to allow these players. And you also have to be very, very careful if you are leadership uh, or obviously, you know, coaches or managers with denying a player the opportunity to represent their country. That can very, very quickly uh, come back at you and it can manifest in that player's performance. And um, you have to make sure you use the situation. And this is where it has nothing to do with X's and O's. It has literally to do with the management of a player. Um, when it comes to this roster, and this is actually a good jumping off point here for this roster, we knew, like you said, Mossy, that this was going to be a, a different roster, shall we say, and one that it was predominantly uh, MLS players. And with that comes, you know, the uh, the anti-MLS brigade and the uh, uh, the knives, I'm sure, are out and sharpened for these players and for this game, uh, a, a U.S.-Mexico game. And that's not necessarily unfair. Uh, but you know, these are players that now have been called into the national team. Some of them are the usual suspects and people that you have heard of before, and some of them are getting their first opportunity. Some usual suspects, Sean Johnson in goal, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long. From a defensive standpoint, I think it's also interesting, Serginho Dest has been called in. Uh, and I know you have uh, something to say, so before I go on to other ones, I will just say this. If you are a U.S. men's national team player or a U.S. women's national team player, and you are playing in Europe, this mostly applies to U.S. men's national team players, and you are playing in Europe, 
and you are allowed to go and play in this game, that is not a good thing. And this is not a good thing for Serginho Dest. As much as I like to watch him play and as much as he helps the team, this is not good that his team is saying, yeah, um, we have no use for you here. It's not a FIFA window, so we don't have to release you. And yes, we will drive you to the airport so you can go and play. Given what you just said, I question why even call him up. There are no other European-based players. You still have an interim coach. And it just shines a light on how, how bad his situation is. It's almost embarrassing for him to get on a plane and fly here to play in this one friendly. So I actually thought this was unnecessary on Anthony Hudson's part. Okay, so that is unnecessary. And as we go through this, uh, Matt Miazga back in the fold, Shaq Moore, uh, Julian Gressel, uh, who has a couple of caps, Caleb Wiley, uh, no caps. So he gets his first opportunity. And we were talking about that opportunity. And then Joshua Winder. Uh, 17 years old, playing for uh, Louisville City, although he's going to go on to bigger and better things, but being called in as a USL uh, player. So I understand what you said about Serginho Dest. Why even call him in? Why call someone like Joshua Winder in? He's 17 years old. I think Anthony Hudson actually has one eye on the Under-20 World Cup, which is coming up, which is on Fox Sports. So he's trying to use his friendly to give uh, some of these players uh, some pretty good experience before that tournament. Doesn't that cheapen the the call-up to the full national team? I mean, shouldn't you have done something before? Again, we talked about this before. We live in an age where we actually have leagues, multiple leagues. I mean, he plays right now for, uh, for Louisville. Multiple leagues where we can assess players and where they can do things that merit... Uh, the call up to the national team. So, I, I mean, he might be a, a, a great player and he may become a great player. But, and we saw this with the, uh, I can't remember his name, the uh, the center back for the Los Angeles Galaxy. Jalen Neal. There you go, Jalen Neal. It, it does feel a little yucky to me to kind of gift and give this opportunity so easily. And it, it does, I think, cheapen the call up. And as a veteran player, you tell me, would it rub you the wrong way when you see a kid like this in the dressing room? It would. I mean, not that I wouldn't do anything or say anything to him, but in my in my mind, I would be thinking, what has he done to deserve this call up to the national team? And like you said, there are other things and other national teams and other tournaments that are coming on, but. I don't think the U.S. national team should be used for that, the full national team. Now, are you being an MLS snob? Because by all accounts, he's playing very well in the USL. If he was playing in MLS, you wouldn't have an issue with him getting called up. He's pl- Yeah, but he's playing, He's but he's 17 years old, okay? <laughs> I mean, let's, let's look it up, all right? So how many, how many games has he played for Louisville? All right, 35 appearances, all right, for, uh, for Louisville. So I guess maybe I am being an MLS. No, because I said the same thing about uh, the Galaxy kid. You know, and he had not played as much uh, much as this. And look, I hope he does well. And this is, by the way, if I was him, hell yeah, I'm taking it. I'm getting on that plane. This is a huge, huge feather in his cap. So I certainly don't blame him. And I think he's going to come out of this camp as a better a better player. But it's just it's just a, a little strange. Um, okay, so let's continue on here in the midfield. Again, some usual suspects. <laughs> Knives out. Uh, Kellen Acosta, Christian Roldan, Jackson Ewell, James Sands, uh, Alan Sonora, uh, one of the few players coming from outside the country uh, playing uh, with uh, Juarez. Aiden Morris, who's on fire right now in MLS. Uh, Jordan Morris, speaking of on fire. Uh, so these are players up top, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Brandon Vasquez, and Cade Cowell round out the list. I complained about there not being a six in the last roster. There are certainly guys here that can fill that role. Kellen Acosta did it plenty of times under Greg Berhalter. James Sands can do it. Jackson Yule. So no issues with that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we've got Brandon Vasquez up there. You know, so much talk now about uh, Balogun and Pepe being back in good form. Do you still view Brandon Vasquez as a really intriguing player for the U.S. national team moving forward, or has his moment kind of passed because some other guys are I don't emerging? think it's passed at all. I think he plays the position right now still in a way that we don't have and haven't had. So I still think he is in, uh, I still think he's in the mix and I look forward to seeing him. You know, the Jordan Morris one is interesting because of what he is now, even relative to a month, two months, and obviously three months ago, four months ago, five months ago, when it came to, uh, uh, it came to the World Cup. But look, this is a one-off type of game. This is US-Mexico. Doesn't matter whether you're playing Mexico in soccer or hockey or cards or anything you want to win and you should want to win and you should feel the honor and the responsibility and i know people can call it a cash grab but listen these are the two heavyweights when it comes to concacaf and people want to see the united states play mexico yes mexico is going to have a b team this is absolutely a b team when it comes to the national team but you know what it doesn't say on that cap and that international that you are awarded and that you are honored with, it doesn't say a B team. It says you played for what I feel is the greatest country in the world, the United States, and you got a cap. You got an international appearance for the United States. And don't take that lightly. And I'll watch this game because it's U.S.-Mexico and because I want to see these players. And I want to see these players live up to what has been, you know, not just in the recent history, but over the history of bringing it when it comes to playing against Mexico. Uh, what else, Mossy? Well, we had an exciting guest on today, and we have another one coming up. Uh, Doug McIntyre. That's right. Us. That is right. Well, you know, after you called him out and uh, said he didn't want to come, and I know you're being tongue in cheek with it uh, and stuff like that, but you know, poor Doug thought that you were, you know, screaming and yelling at him, and he quickly made made it very, very clear that he w would love to be, and we love to have him. We've had him on the show num uh, numerous times, and he's obviously gearing up for a whole lot of stuff that's happening this year, including, uh, including the World Cup. We mentioned earlier that he just came out with his twenty five reasons to uh, be excited about the Women's World Cup. I mean, there's probably 50 or 100 reasons going forward, but uh, definitely check that out. Uh, anything else uh, before we uh, take another break here, Mosey? That's it. That's it. Uh, okay, uh, we will take another quick break, and when we come back, well, it's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, you know I give you my one for the road, so don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. You had something to add, though, Mossy, right? Uh, in the break, you said something. Yes. In the previous segment, we were talking about the upcoming U.S.-Mexico friendly. I mentioned that Liga MX clubs are reluctant to release players for this game, uh, and that's mostly going to affect Mexico, but it actually affected the U.S. as well because Zendejas was not released by Club America. That's why he's not on the U.S. roster. He would have been otherwise, which is a shame because that would have been such a cool storyline yep. given he recently chose the U.S. over Mexico. You think he would have been fired up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been, uh, that would have been fun, to, uh, fun to watch. But he, he will be, you know, there are bigger fish to fry uh, in the long term here, so we will get him back. Hey, Mossy, um, the, the Wrexham story continues to percolate, right? Uh, so uh, uh, we, were off, uh, we were off air and you were reading me uh, the, uh, the quote from, uh, what's his name again? Ryan Reynolds. He is the owner, one of the owners. Then Correct. there's the other guy. Rob McElhenney. Okay, well, Ryan and the other guy. When we taped our last podcast, Wrexham had just finished uh, beating Knott's County, this thrilling game which gave him a three-point lead atop the National League standings there in pole position to get promoted. Um, and afterwards, a jubilant Ryan Reynolds had this quote. He said, aside from the birth of my kids, this day was up there for me emotionally. 
everything about this sport and the way the sport is handled here with the pyramid system, promotion, relegation, that creates stakes like nothing else. Obviously, that those quotes have gotten a lot of play on Twitter, mm. a lot of pro-rel folks <laughs> reveling in them, throwing them in Don, Don Garber's face. Oh, what say you? It's it's like catnip to the pro-rel uh folks out there and 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 it's low-hanging fruit so grab a hold of it i would do the exact same thing if i was one of you i i totally get it and look i i don't uh you know i i have no reason not to believe ryan reynolds when he says how emotional and you could see how emotional it was not just for his team and for the fans but in that moment for to be on the precipice of uh of going up uh and being promoted and as i've told you many many times uh i I have lived promotion relegation. I, I know about the passion and the emotion uh, and the reality of what it looks like. And I completely uh, understand what he is saying. Although, you know, it is interesting in terms of, you know, talking about, you know, the competitive nature of this and how unique and different it is. And uh, someone over on, on Twitter, I'll just have to read this here. Uh, if you, uh, have I got news for you on Twitter? Said, as, Rex, as Wrexham edge closer to promotion, it just goes to show what can be achieved with hard work, celebrity owners, lucrative sponsorship deals, and 10 times more money than anyone else in the league. And, you know, I know that's being a little bit flip and that's being a little bit, uh, a little bit unfair and kind of raining on, uh, on the parade. And I know there are those that are, that, that are near and dear to, you know, the American system, when it, whether it's Major League Soccer or any of the leagues in terms of not having uh, pro-rel. And there are those that, that champion. And we have plenty of discussions and debates going back and, uh, back and forth. And I don't begrudge Ryan Reynolds or anybody else having these moments and, and being part of this, not just this business, but this community, which is what this team has become. And I can, from my position, I can still celebrate that and praise that and applaud that without dumping on the current system that we that we have in the uh, in the United States and who knows maybe that uh, that changes uh, that changes in the uh, in the future but when it comes to the Wrexham phenomenon as we have talked about now uh, on multiple shows this is in a sense good for soccer all right this is in a sense exposing people in the same way that we talked to Brendan Hunt and the folks at Ted Lasso, Lasso, you know, how they get into the tent, I don't really care about. As long as it is, is, as long as people are digesting some form of soccer, it is good. Even if that form of soccer runs counter in terms of the structure to, for example, Major League Soccer or domestic league. We've also talked before about how this emotion and this passion they don't have a monopoly on that. When I say they, European uh, leagues don't have a monopoly on that. And I do think that it's disingenuous and I guess it would be disrespectful to, to infer that people don't have the same passion when it comes to their team, the same connection to their team, the same emotions and reactions when their team is successful or when their team is not successful. Just because you do not have promotion relegation doesn't make you any less of a fan, doesn't make you any less passionate, knowledgeable, uh, or intense about your connection, your personal connection to your team. And one need only look at the results that happen, the moments that you have. And so for every moment that Ryan Reynolds is celebrating as being, uh, other than his, the birth of his children, 
a monumental historic moment and an emotional moment, I can show you MLS or USL or NWSL uh, uh, fans or any a number of leagues or any American fans that have gone through it through soccer and other sports that have been equally as emotional and as passionate. And so all that is to say is that there are more ways than one to enjoy your soccer. And um, so I, so congratulations to Wrexham because it is a wonderful story. We'll see ultimately where it, where it ends up. But to use it as some sort of proxy, to use it as some sort of, uh, some sort of effort that you hold up on to a pedestal and say, why aren't we this? I, I don't quite understand that. And I think you're being, like I said, a little disingenuous. And I think that you're throwing a lot of people when it comes to fans uh, out there under the bus. And I don't think that you're ultimately respecting the unique fandom and the unique culture that has been created in not just the United States, but in North America through these leagues, just because they don't have the same type of structure that you, uh, that you have accessed when it comes to uh, Wrexham and others. Here's the big question. We can end on this today. Okay. If Wrexham get promoted, does Sean Sullivan have enough juice to get Ryan Reynolds or Rob, Rob McElhaney on this <laughs> podcast? I don't know. I mean, I, I would think so. It depends because, you know, you get up to that. Now, they're going to have to spend some more money. And so, you know, the marketing budget's going to have to increase and, and all that. So Only if they get promoted. Otherwise, we'll have to tell Ryan Reynolds, sorry, we've got Doug McIntyre lined up and there's no room for you. Hey, man, Doug McIntyre would knock off even the most A-list of stars as far as I'm concerned. That's how good he is and how lucky we are here at Fox to have him. All right, Mossy, anything before we go? That's it. Continue to uh, review and rate and to subscribe and do all the different things. We will continue to bring you the, uh, the content. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you so much to our guest, Ali Wagner, and until next week, and as always, size the...